right. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Now we're talking. I like some loudness from the crowd. It's good. Um, guys, if it's your first time here tonight, I just want to welcome you to Connection Church Pooler. Uh, my name is Michael Page, and I am the campus pastor here at this um, campus of Connection Church. Uh, we are a, uh, a church of five campuses where everything we do is, to, is centered around c- connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to, I'm here to tell you that if, if you are not in a growing relationship with Jesus and you've come to this church a few times, then there's something off that we need to get a little more invested or something because we are going to give you every opportunity to grow in your walk with Christ because our heart is to connect you with the king of the universe. Is that cool? That's good. That's good, right? It's good. So, uh, yep. So anyway, tonight, guys, we're going to be going into our second week of our series called The, uh, the End of Me. And um, last week we kicked it off and we, and we were talking about, you know, what it means to, to follow Christ. And to, to when, it, when we follow Christ, we, we find true happiness and true joy whenever we come to the end of ourselves. And how that is totally against the culture that we live in um, sometimes. And so tonight, guys, we're going, to, we're going to continue in that. But before we do that, I just want to encourage you guys to, to continue in um, the things that we've been going through as a church. Uh, we've, we've been going through the reading plan um, that we put out a couple of weeks ago called the 412 reading plan. If you don't have that, it's at our next steps table. You can grab on the way out. It's a great way to get involved in taking your next step of opening the Bible and reading the Word of God. And because um, we believe that if, if one of the steps, one of the keys of a growing relationship with Christ is, is spending time with Jesus. And if you're spending time with Jesus, I feel like it's hard not to grow in your relationship with Him. And so it's, it's, we have uh, given you the tool in the, to do that. And so if, if that's something you want to do, um, see our next steps table um, to be able to do that. Um, so are you guys ready to go with this? Okay, so tonight, um, I'll be completely honest with you. Tonight's message has been um, convicting me for two weeks. Um, the last time I preached out of this scripture, um, I actually, believe it or not, had a guy raise his hand and stand up and want to debate in the middle of a sermon. And it got a little intense. And so I was like, Lord, let's not let that happen again. Um, so if you, if you feel the need to do that, just see me afterwards and let's talk about it. So it'd be a lot better to do it that way. Um, but uh, but kind of going forward, um, you know, every week I like to talk um, with you guys a little bit before we start because, I, because of this. Like, th- I cherish this book more than anything in the world because I truly believe that it is, it is God's inspired word. It is God's words on a page, and it has value to change my life. And I believe the same thing for you. And I believe if you open it and you read it, that it has value to change your life and to move you into a direction that God is wanting you to go. And as we prepare to open up Scripture tonight, read in Luke 14, let's open the Bible, as, as whether it's your phone or this book, and let's just look at this. I mean, and you don't have to literally do it, but if you want to, it's okay. Um, with reverence and with awe, this is a book, a divinely inspired book. Let's remember the words on this page were breathed by God Himself it was, record, it was to record truth and, and, how, and to train us how to follow Him. And anytime we open this, there's an opportunity for God to move in your hearts and your lives and to change your life forever. And that's a good thing, right? And so if you look at 2 Timothy, um, you can look, it'll be on the screen, you don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this. It says, all Scripture, not some of it, not a third of it, not half of it, not... All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So do you wanna know how you can be equipped to do every good work that God calls you to? Is to get in the Word of God. And tonight we're gonna to read from the Word of God. But tonight, this decision that we're gonna talk about to follow Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a sold out follower of Jesus where I am looking to, I'm looking to Him and nothing else for my satisfaction. I'm looking to Him and nothing else for my fulfillment in life. What does it mean to live for Him? This is the most important decision in your life, period. It's the most important decision. Last week we talked about um, whenever someone comes face to face with Jesus, they have two choices. You accept Him or you reject Him. There's no in-between with Jesus with that. There's no, there's no gray area when it comes to following Christ. And it's active, it's never passive. You never find anywhere in scripture where anybody passively followed Christ, ever. You don't find it in scripture. So tonight my question, before we start, I'm gonna ask you a few questions is, what are you gonna do with Jesus? If you're here tonight and you know that you're not saved, if you know that you don't know Jesus, what are you gonna do with him tonight? Because one thing I promise you, you will hear tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. You will hear that. And what are you gonna do with him? Some questions I just want you to ask yourself is, do I love Jesus? Do I love him? Is he my, is he my supply, my, my comfort in times of need? Is he who I run to? Not the things he's done for me, not, not those things, but Jesus, just Jesus. Do, do I love him? If not, why not? Maybe it's because we haven't truly seen the beauty of Christ. We haven't truly seen the beauty of Jesus or understood the weight of our sins to understand what he's done in our lives through, through salvation. The next question is, is, am I a disciple? Am I a follower? Am I a student of Christ? Or am I only a Christian according to today's religious standards? Because the, the Bible says the road is narrow the one that leads to eternal life. The road is wide and broad that leads to destruction is what it says. That one's easy to find. And the last thing is, what thing in my life, what thing in our lives do we need to lay down before the Lord tonight and say, God, I've been worshiping this thing and not you. Lord, you are the Lord of my life. This thing is not. God, take it and, and make me like you. Every single person in this room, including myself, is, has a next step in their faith. We have a next step to take. It, it may be salvation. It may be a small step to, to do something that God's called you to do that you've been disobedient in. It may be baptism. It may be serving. It may be loving your neighbor next door. It may be sharing the gospel with somebody at work. We have a next step. And so tonight, my encouragement is you would take it. Because one thing I know is if you need anything, in addition to God to make you happy or to make you whole, then that thing is your, per or that person or that possession is, is, your, is your true king, not Jesus. And so tonight, I just want us to lay down the things of our heart before God and let's get seriously um, honest with Him and honest with ourselves as we open Scripture tonight. And so let's turn to Luke 14 and I wanna pray for us. Luke 14, verse 25. I'll give you a second to get there and then we'll pray. Luke 14, 25. God, I just pray that we would feel the fullness of your presence in this room tonight.
God, I pray for hearts that are far from you, God, to be emboldened and encouraged, Father, to, to take steps closer to you, Jesus. Father, I pray for the person in here tonight, God, that needs you, Father, to, to be awakened to that. God, I pray tonight that for, the, for, the, for the believers in this room, Father, who may be stagnant, Father, or are sleeping at the wheel, Father, I pray that we would wake up and to find out what it means to be a true follower of you. I pray, God, that we would understand what it means and what we truly can grasp a hold of, what it truly means to come to the end of ourself, God, so that you can become fully alive in us as vessels of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, Father, I just pray over this room that you would just fill us up, God. You would fill us up, you would send us out, you would equip us for the good works of the gospel, God, and you would just make us whole in you, Father. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Are we awake? We good? Because if we ain't, we're about to be, because Luke is about to wake us up. Luke 14, verse 25 through 35. And I want you to notice if, if you have the type of Bible that has the red letters, everything we're reading tonight is going to, well, in the Luke, in the Gospels, it's going to be red. It's going to be red. So that means Jesus spoke these words. And so tonight I want us to hear these words, okay? So let's read these together. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning, and, and he, and turning to them, he said, well, let me stop there. Large crowds were coming to Jesus. Why do you, why? Well, if you look back a few chapters, Jesus was, fe he, fed, he fed them. That's enough for me to follow Jesus. All right, I'm, I'm on board. He was healing people. He, he cast out demons. He was, I mean, he was doing crazy stuff that had never been seen before by anybody. This guy is legit. He is talking about, he is talking like he is one who speaks with authority on things of the kingdom. He's, he has miracles that are backing him up, that are showing the glory of God. And so everybody was following him. This guy, I'm following this guy. I mean, all of us would follow him too. So everybody was fine, but Jesus knew that everybody in the crowd wasn't really 100% following him for him, but for the things that he was doing, right? You got it? We on board? So he says this, as Jesus always does, very wise. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And this is where it gets a little weird, but we're gonna explain it in a second. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit for, it is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. All right, whew. That's some tough stuff. So kind of diverting a little bit. Before I was a pastor, I was an estimator at a construction company um, here in town. And what I did is I priced material, um, I priced labor, I did, I, I did estimations for, for the projects. You know, I made schedules to make sure that we'd be able to finish the work in the required time. Um, one time I got really happy because I got my first job. I was like, I won, my, I won my first job. I won my boss, high fives, everything. Got really excited. And so, and so I called, the, I called the, the, you know, the owner, said, hey, it's, gonna be, it's good doing business with you. Um, do you need anything from me? And so I, you know, she, and she asked me, she said, I just want to know. She's like, what did you do differently? Because you were like 
$40,000 cheaper than the other guy. And I was like, ooh, okay. And so, and so I, went back to my, I went back to my estimate, I was looking through it. I was going through it, I was like, man, what did I do wrong? And so it took me like an hour. And I finally got to the line out of where it says labor. And I left off every bit of labor for that job. And so I got the job, but I, I left off the labor. And I could, I could preach that way too, but I'm not going to. But the labor was the, the greatest portion of the job. And we, we didn't lose money because my boss was a, a highly trained professional and found some money in other places to be able to, to, be able to offset some of it. But listen, I, I feel like, you know, when it comes to, to following Christ, you know, just like in this, in this construction analogy, I feel like Christians, I feel like believers in Christ, people who claim to know Christ, have kind of lost the importance of counting the cost of our faith. Like, what is it gonna cost me to follow Christ? Instead, we have a moment with Christ in a worship service or, or, at a, or at a trip or a conference and we, I'm on board. But we don't count the cost of what it looks like to follow him sometimes. We, we've assumed a lot of things when it comes to our faith. You know, so my question for you like rhetorically tonight is what cost are you willing to pay when it comes to following Christ? What cost are you willing to pay when it comes to following Christ? Is it, I can't move to that place, that's a little too far out in the wilderness, that, that's, that's weird. I, I can't give up that possession because I, I just, it, it, I like it a lot and I can't give that up. Well, I don't wanna break up with this person or stop doing this with this person because they give me my identity or, or, or I don't feel comfortable talking to this person about salvation because I don't know enough. I don't feel equipped to disciple someone because I've never really walk through the sidewalk. I don't know. And so we live in a culture, guys, where I feel like things have lost their meaning a lot. I feel like up seems down, left seems right. Politically correctness is, is rampant. You know, everything seems to be relative. Truth is relative in the minds of everybody, it seems like. That's your truth. This is my truth. But let me reassure you tonight that everybody in this room that's within my earshot, if you can hear my voice, that there's only one truth. We don't get to determine truth because of, because of our humanity, okay? We don't get to determine truth based on our opinions that we hold. That's not how truth is determined. Guys, we live in a culture where being a Christian simply means you attend church somewhere or that you have Christian on your Facebook page right next to your cake stands. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's important that we understand that that does not make us a Christian, Following Christ is, has a cost to it. Sometimes I think we've kind of skewed what it means to, to follow Christ, you know, because guys, when you read scripture and you see uh, a, a self-denying faith, but when a, a self-serving culture meets a self-denying faith, an explosion of a confusion happens. Like, I don't know, I, it, it gets confusing because I wanted to please myself, but the Bible says I'm supposed to deny, deny myself and, and to give up the things that, that, I, that I, I want sometimes, you know. And so, you know, and this is what I understand and what I know is I've learned is that we've become an entitled generation. Can we agree on that? We've, we've become an entitled culture. Because guys, God put something in my heart a while ago when I, was, when I was going through a connect group discussion. I went home and I was praying and I feel like God spoke and hit me in the face with it. I mean, he was like, he, I feel like it was say, he was saying, it was like, it's arrogant of me. It's arrogant of us to think that we're gonna spend eternity in heaven with God when we die while we rarely make room for him in our lives while we're living. Does that make, does that make sense? 
And so for me, that was very, that was a hard truth. And this angle that Jesus was using in this scripture in Luke is in describing to the people following him is what, is what, he, what it would take to follow Jesus. That, this is the angle that he was taking. And guys, I feel safe in saying that people are being deceived when it comes to their faith in their eternity. I feel, I'm, I feel safe in saying that because tonight, you know, we've believed that if we come up here and we pray a prayer, we believe or, or, and say that we believe in Christ, that we're saved. But that's not what scripture says. Nowhere in scripture do we see someone praying a prayer to receive Christ. Nowhere. We see Jesus calling his disciples. We see the disciples preaching and saying, repent and turn from your sins and be baptized. That's what, it, that's, that's what it takes to repent, to turn away from sin and towards Christ and to be in an, uh, being obedient to him as we walk and as we follow him. You know, we see the apostles telling people, repent, repent, turn back, turn back. You know, guys, my heart for you guys is not for you to come here and believe everything I say. My heart for you is to read this Bible. Read this Bible and see exactly what it says for yourself. Tonight, if you're reading this and you're like, man, I don't know about that. Read it and find out for yourself what it says, what it means. Because if we don't get this right, we're in trouble. You know what I mean? And so tonight, guys, you know, don't take my word for it. Any other pastor's word, read the Bible, read what Jesus says, read the red letters, and let that be your standard that, that you live by. Read the Bible and do what it says. Because we read Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 7. This is probably one of the scariest verses in the Bible. It says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Can we agree with that? A good tree is going to bear what? Good fruit, right? A bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. It says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire because it's useless. A bad tree that doesn't bear fruit is useless. It says, every tree that is not, okay, so I already said that. Verse 20, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only the one, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So tonight, the only way to heaven, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, through knowing him. Not about him, but knowing him. And what I'm most concerned about, guys, every time I preach somewhere, any, whether it's here or anywhere, I'm deeply concerned that even though some people come and sit in a church building or, or a church service, that there may be people present in these places or these settings who are going to hell because they've been deceived by false teaching or feel-good messages that are terrified to say the word hell because people don't like to hear it. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, the way that you're supposed to be born or saved is to be born again. Jesus was talking to the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew a lot of the Bible. He knew the Bible in Joel and in, in, um, Ezekiel where it says God's gonna give us a new heart. The Holy Spirit was gonna be the sign of the new covenant. He knew all that. He knew all that stuff. But still, Nicodemus was so confused, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're talking crazy right now, born again. And so my point tonight, guys, is we need to be well-versed in Scripture and know what it says. Turning away from what we once turned towards and turning to Christ instead. And there's a tension. It, it's tough up here, guys, sometimes 
Because it's, it's tough to skate around, you know, where you call people to repentance and say, turn to God. And then where you encourage believers to press on without causing the true believers to doubt themselves. Because I do not want you to doubt yourself if you're a follower of Christ. I don't want you to doubt yourself. My heart for you tonight, if you're a follower of Christ, is to find that assurance of your salvation that Scripture talks about. It says you can have assurance of salvation. Nothing can shake you if you have that assurance. And so tonight, don't doubt. But if you come into church every week, whether it's this church or any other church, and if this is your first night, this is a tough message. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. Come back next week. Um, so listen, but you know, if you come to church every week and you feel no sense of urgency to spread the gospel, no sense. I don't, the gospel, what, or, if you, or, if you, or if you have, no, you don't want to go out and make disciples. It's just like, it's, that's for somebody else. Or you have no urgency to honor the Lord with a lifestyle of holiness, then I think there's room for us to evaluate ourselves and see if we're in Christ or not, right? We have, we, we have there's room there to evaluate ourselves. But guys, I promise you, if this is your church home or if this is your, I refuse to preach or teach what is popular and skip over what is biblical, That'll never happen in this building because I care more about your eternity way more than about my popularity. I want us to see Jesus for who he is and follow him the way he was meant to be followed. And you can look back in Luke 14, um, 25. <clears throat> it says a, a huge crowd was following Jesus because he had healed the sick, he'd raised the dead, he delivered demon-possessed. He, he knew why these people were following. They loved the things Jesus was doing for them, but not necessarily him. They didn't really love him. They love his actions, right? And so it's easy for us to get caught up into that too because that's exactly what our culture has done to Christianity, as, right? I mean, you know, it creates a cultural Christianity that's been drained of its responsibilities and its meaning. You know, we don't, we don't have to come to Christ and die. We can come to Christ and get all this stuff. We can get some cool music and some awesome connect group that'll give us a high five whenever we're struggling. You know, we can get all this stuff. It's all, you know, Jesus is here for me, you know. But no, it says we're supposed to die to self so that we can actually truly live for the way we were called to live. It says follow Jesus. You know, it says follow Jesus and come see what God can do for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite authors and pastors and theologians. He says, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him to come and die. That sounds a little bit different than what I'm used to here in a church. You know, that's why we have people, guys, full of church. Excuse me, that's why we have churches full of people who aren't willing to give up an inch in their lives for the gospel to be spread in their own towns, much less the world. And they've been taught by churches that the church is here to provide for them and to entertain them each week by, by creating these moments of goosebumps that God's gonna come in and just make you feel all better. And that's not how it works. God comes in and, and he redeems us and he makes us whole and he comforts us and he makes us feel better. He does all those things, but he gives us, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit, but he empowers us with a purpose. We have a purpose for living for Christ and it's not to, to self-serve ourselves. It's, it's not to, to benefit solely for, for me and my life, for my, for my best life now. It's for it's to live here on this earth, spreading the, the message of the kingdom so that more people can go and live with Christ and with God and with us for eternity in heaven. Doesn't that sound good? One person sounds awesome. 
But listen, that's what I was talking about last week, guys. If you were here last week, what I was saying is, you know, we love to follow the Savior Jesus because the Savior Jesus, he saves me. He's down on the cross, rose from the dead. Awesome, pumps me up. That's something that everybody wants. He gives us everything we need. He gives me eternal life. He gives me a new life, new heart. Awesome, let's do this. I'm on board. But it's hard to love a Lord Jesus because he requires us to die of ourselves and our desires, to lose control, to come to the end of ourselves and to be able to be used. So we get both. He's Savior. We get that comfort, that, that security, but he's also Lord. We're obedient because God's a good God. He's gonna give us things to do that's gonna be for our good is what scripture says, but for his glory. But we're more concerned about our good than his glory sometimes, right? So we need to understand that his good, for our good and his glory is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And that's where I wanna live. I wanna live in that tension where I'm following Christ, where it scares the heck out of me, but I'm being taken care of and I'm, I'm seeing miracles happen. I'm seeing God moving me in ways I've never seen. I mean, I, that's where I wanna live. I don't wanna live in fear. I don't wanna live on the outside of, of life. I don't, I don't wanna live in those places. I wanna live in the center of where God wants me. And so that's what's so hard, guys, but it's so hard to love Lord Jesus because he requires something of us sometimes. Then we see Jesus thinning out the crowd here. And he's, by sharing this, he says, this is what a true disciple is. You guys, there's thousands of you, but listen, there's only a few actually who are truly wanna follow me. And he says this, he gives four requirements. If you're a note taker, and Jesus loves note takers, and everybody else too, there's four requirements of a disciple in this passage that we're looking at. There's four requirements. And remember, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself said this, the words of God. The first thing he says is, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What he's saying is not, you gotta hate all those people and love me. What he's saying, compared to your love for me, your love for them should almost look like hate. In comparison, it should almost look, it shouldn't look so different than your love for them. Your love for me should be above all things. So number one is love Jesus more than anyone or anything. That's the first requirement. Love Jesus more than anyone or anything. That's the first requirement. He was, he was saying these things, you know, guys, hate means basically to love less in this scripture. And if anybody's familiar with hyperboles, if anybody's ever said, I'm so hungry, I can eat a horse. I don't think you can really eat a horse. I don't think. I can't. So it's a hyperbole. It's, it's something that it's, it's, it's an expression. So everything in this passage, guys, though, what it's doing is it's looking at our heart. It's saying, where's your heart at? If you want to be my disciple, examine your heart and see if you're able to be my disciple. Are you following me for the things I've done for you? Are you following me for the who I am as the creator of the universe, the, the, the beginning and end of all things, and the, and the savior of this world? Or is that why you're following me? Because if you're not, you can't love me less than all this stuff and still follow me. You have to love me above all things or this doesn't work. That gets everybody quiet in their entire, everybody in the world gets quiet at that point. The second thing he said is carry your cross. Carry your cross. Jesus takes it a step further here. He always takes it a step further. You'll see that in a second. Jesus always takes it one step further. 
If you don't carry your own cross, he says, you literally, he doesn't say literally, you can't be my disciples. You cannot be my disciple. And we were praying earlier and I was, I was telling the prayer team how nervous I was to preach this. But, you know, at the same time, guys, and then one of the guys said, you know, this is not a parable. This is spoken, this is spoken as a command, as, 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 as literal. He's saying, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me like this. Unless you follow me and are prepared to do this like this. And so listen to this. It says, unless you take up your cross, unless you carry your cross, you literally can't be my disciple. Guys, the cross was very well known to the people he was talking to. So when he was talking to these people, if he was talking to us, he'd be like, your cross? What the heck are you talking about? But to these people, when he said, you gotta carry your cross, they knew exactly what he meant. It was like, oh, I mean, immediately they knew exactly. The cross meant one thing and one thing only in that culture. The most painful and humiliating means of human punishment that anybody can think of. That's what it means to those people because they saw crosses every day. Like the Romans lined roads with people who were crucified to set an example to, for compliance with Roman rule. Sometimes they, it talks about Nero, wherever he, um, was, whenever he was doing his thing, he would light Christians on fire on crosses to light the roads in, in places that he was ruling at. I mean, these people knew what a cross was. And when the Roman Empire, whenever they crucified someone, the victim was often forced to carry the cross through the heart of town on the way to their crucifixion site. You know, and the carrying their cross through the heart of the city was looked at as kind of a, a public confession that the Roman Empire was correct in the sentence of death imposed on the person going to the cross. It was an admission that Rome was right and the person was wrong. And so you see where I'm going here? So Jesus used this example that his followers were to carry their crosses and follow him. He was referring to, a, to like a, a public display before others that Jesus is the only way. He was using it as, as an example. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 3. I wanna show you something, or, or an example of a, of a man in Philippians. Philippians 3, probably my favorite chapter in most of the Bible. And this is Paul talking about having no confidence in the flesh. Don't have confidence in the flesh. Have flesh in God. Have flesh in Jesus. And he's talking here and he's, he's building it up and he's saying, you know, you think you have reasons to be confident? Well, let me, let me tell you my reasons. This is what he says. He says, though I have, I myself have, have, have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. That's a good thing in the Jewish culture. Or the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe, Hebrew of Hebrews, and regarding to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So everything he had in his religious pockets, he had it, everything he needed for, the, for, for his, his works based to salvation. He had all he needed. Number, verse seven says, but whatever gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. No matter what I had, physical, spiritual, uh, you know, material things, I count as a loss compared to what I have in Christ. Verse eight, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That word garbage is a curse word in the original language. I'm just gonna let you know that right there. Paul was kind of salty. 
Literally, go look it up. It was. Seriously. Verse nine. And be found in him. I count everything a loss and consider it garbage that I might, be, that I might gain Christ. I just might have Christ. Not necessarily be used by him, but I might just have Christ. Just be in his presence. Just sit with him for a second. Just to know his pre- what his presence feels like. Everything else is worthless compared to that. And he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is where it gets good. This is, listen to Paul. This guy sounds crazy from a worldly standard. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Holy moly. He wants to participate in Christ's sufferings. Have we read what happened to Christ? Have we read the floggings? Have we read the beating? Have we read the crucifixion? He wants to participate in the sufferings of Christ for Christ. He wants to be persecuted for Christ, to, to feel alive for Christ, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the salvation, resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So everything Christ took hold of me for, that's what I want to take. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to, I want to do that. I want to be whatever Christ has called me to be. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, I want to know Christ no matter what. Jesus, in in Luke, Jesus was saying, unless you're willing to come with me, even though it may mean you might die for me or with me, it might mean you might have to carry your cross up to that hill over there, You can't be my disciple. You literally can't be my disciple. Guys, when Jesus comes into a heart of a man and reveals himself to that person, that person is born again. That person changes from the the inside out. Something happens that that changes them at the core of who that person is. Nothing can stop that person from following Jesus the way that Jesus intended once somebody comes alive in Christ. They'll carry his name to the ends of the earth when they come alive in Christ. No shame, no loss, no financial ruin, no public disgrace, not even death can stop them from carrying the name of their Savior to the ends of the earth. And so tonight, guys, you may be looking at me like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Nobody, nobody follows anything like this anymore. Nobody does this. But tonight, guys, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only way. That is it, period. Jesus is here for us tonight to live for. Guys, when Jesus says we must take up our cross, He's not asking you to do something that He hasn't already done. He's not asking you to do something that He hasn't already done. Jesus took His cross all the way to Calvary and carried your sins and my sins to that hill and destroyed them there so that we could have freedom to live for Him. Isn't that good news? That's literally literally the gospel. That's literally the good news of the gospel. That is good news. And tonight, guys, that makes number three easy. Follow me. Follow me. Number three is follow me. Following Christ in His his life, in His way, in His character, and what He wants you to do. Guys, when Jewish boys used to want to be rabbis back in the day, um, they they would just long for the day that a rabbi would come up to them and say, follow me which I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, and so they would, they would long for that day. And what they would do is they would follow them step by step at a distance. They would follow, they would watch how he's walking. He's walking this way, he's kind of, he's looking, the, he tried, they try to mimic the steps of that rabbi. 
step by step. They'd watch him as they're, he'd watch him as he's like in the marketplace buying stuff, as he's, as he's dealing with people. How's he handling himself with that person? How's he talking to that person? How's he, how, how's he, he's, he's, he's guiding that person as he's following him. Guys, we have a guide. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's literally Jesus Christ living inside of us to guide us. John 16, 13 says this. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears from God and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's awesome. Is that what everybody wants tonight? As we're, as we're Christians, we wanna be led by the Holy Spirit. We wanna be led into what he's calling us to do. Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 16 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Take one step, take another step. Walk by the Spirit and then you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I'm tired of the sinful nature. I'm tired of it. One day God says we're going to be living with Him and we won't have to deal with temptation anymore. How awesome is that going to be? Incredible. You move down to verse 25 in that same chapter and it says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So in my head, if I'm keeping step with the Spirit, that means I gotta be very active in my walk with Christ. I've gotta be very observant of where Christ is moving. If I'm in step with Him, I'm walking in step. When you move, I'm moving. When you stop, I'm stopping. I'm only going as far as you let me. If I overstep you, I know I'm outside of your bounds. I have to be in step with you. Keeping in step with the Spirit means be careful. Pay attention, keep going, don't stop. The fourth thing, give up everything you have. To an American Christian sitting in this room, that makes you want to vomit. <laughs> give up everything you have. What? I've saved a lot of money, bro. <laughs> I don't think God's talking about giving up everything you have. I think he's looking at your heart. Are you willing to give up everything you have? Because what if I ask for something? You know, what, what if I ask for, for this step? or for this step? How far is too far? Have you counted the cost? Guys, people in our culture, our people in this culture, the one that Jesus was speaking to, they had very little, and it was still hard for them to, to think about turning the control over to, of their things over to Jesus. Guys, but as the rich of this world, us in this room, the rich culture of the world, the, the United States of America, we'll find it really hard to find a mansion in heaven attractive when we live in one on earth. Does that make sense? It's so hard for people who are able to support themselves and provide for themselves, indulge themselves to bend their knees to a God that requires everything. That's tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for us. It's tough for our culture. But when Jesus asks for your heart, he knows he can't have it if it's already tied up in possessions and worldly things. He knows he can't have it unless, unless, unless you give it. That's the type of, that type of heart, guys, is useless in the kingdom. And that's why he says we cannot be his disciples unless we're willing to give up everything we have. If you look in the last two verses of Luke 14, it says salt is good. That's good, salt's good. I like putting salt on stuff, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Our salt that we use is pure. It, it's, it's hard to lose its saltiness. The salt they're talking about in these days was impure, it, it could lose its saltiness, lose its flavor, use it, gets, it could lose its useful properties, which would leave it just white powder, useless, pointless. It's just, I mean, what's it good for? Nothing. 
Jesus said it's, it's neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile. It is it's thrown out. So he says salt's good. It has use. It can be used for something good. It can be used for flavor or for preserving food. It can be used for cleansing um, um, wombs or, or, or different things. But just like salt is, is useful only when it contains its useful properties, we will be useful only while we retain the properties of discipleship when we follow Christ. That is the only time we're useful. He goes on and says, just like salt, if we lose our effectiveness, we become useless to him. That's a scary thought to think about that. He says, he said, this is, I, I kind of laugh. He says, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Like if the salt's bad, it says you mess up dirt. Like you're thrown out in the dirt, you mess up dirt. It's not good for the dirt. He goes on, he, he goes on and says, it's not fit for the manure pile. So basically he said, I, I, I'm not gonna throw you on my pile of crap because you'll mess crap up. So my point is, listen to that for a second. He is serious about this stuff. We, are, we have to have um, these qualities of discipleship, guys, if we are going to follow Christ and be useful for the kingdom. Because I promise you tonight, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, then you wanna be useful. You wanna be. You at least wanna be. And so let's look at one more example before we go. In Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Verses 16 through 22. And it says this. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We already see him messing up. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And this guy, he is bold. He says, which one, Jesus? He required... He inquired, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And whenever you guys have some more time to study, go read why he, why he only included those four or five. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I did some study on this week. He said, all these I've kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? You can see his heart was telling him he still lacked something. He had done all this, in his mind, he had done all this stuff, but he still lacked something. He knew, he knew something was missing. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Guys, the man wasn't asking how he could earn salvation. He wasn't asking because he loved Jesus, because he wanted to be at one with, with Jesus. He wanted to be one with God. He wanted to know what good thing or what works would demonstrate that he was righteous and qualified for the kingdom. He was puffed up in his asking. He was, what good thing must I do, Lord, to, to show everybody how good I am? But he was still aware there was something lacking in that. As I said a second ago, Jesus didn't introduce the law to show him how to be saved, but he introduced a law to show him that he needed to be saved. Jesus forced him to look at his heart. Look at your heart. Possessions had control of his heart. Money had first place in his heart because he was rich. It goes on and said, it's, it goes on in a minute. And he said that, and this is not gonna be on the screen, but he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is speaking there directly to the American culture that it's hard to enter the kingdom of heaven if we're rich. 
This man was violating the first commandment. He was violating the very first thing that he said he had kept perfect. Do you see that? I've kept the law. I've done all the law. But he violated the very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Guys, I've never seen anyone begin a journey to follow Christ and Jesus not ask very first thing for the idols that we have set up in our lives. I've never seen that happen. Anytime you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the very first thing he's asking for is the idols because self-sufficiency is the greatest enemy to following Jesus. Thinking I can do it on my own, thinking I have it, I can pay my way, I can do this, I can, I can be good enough. Self-sufficiency is the greatest enemy to following Christ. Tonight, my question is this. Have you, have you counted the cost of following Christ? My second question is more terrifying. Have you counted the cost of not following Christ? Truly following Christ the way he lays it out in Scripture. We all need the, the, the strongest Christian in this room and the, and the weakest Christian in this room and the, and the lost person in this room. We all need to think about this. This is what we all come to. Have, the, have there been limits in our lives to this point when we followed Christ? Is Jesus more important than our family? Is Jesus more precious to us than our life? Is Jesus more precious to us than my plans or my, my goals that I've set? Is he more precious than my possessions that I saved to buy? You know, over and over and over again in Scripture, we see where the cost for following Jesus is everything. But what you gain in following Christ is also everything. Do you see that? When you gain Christ, you gain everything, everything. Guys, when's the last time that following Christ produced fear in you? Me saying that right there produces fear in me. When's the last time following him produced fear in us? Not a fear where you're like, where, you're, where, where you know, God is gonna provide comfort. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. When's the last time that following Christ cost you something? I read a story this week of a pastor in India. Um, he was told by the government authorities to stop preaching the gospel, close your church down, stop preaching the gospel, close your church down. The next day, they found him hung over the altar in his church. At every cost, he, was, he wanted to preach the gospel no matter what. That same area, there was a woman who was, who was sharing Christ with her friends and the authorities said, stop sharing Christ. Stop talking about the gospel. Stop doing this now. You're, you're spreading lies. You're causing dissension in our country. And she didn't. She refused. And her husband and her young daughter was killed right in front of her. But she said it was worth it because of her faith in Christ. What kind of faith is that? That is, a, that is incredible faith. My heart tonight is this, guys, that you would see is if we want to follow Jesus, guys, sometimes without leaving our comfort zone, but that's impossible. Because what I know is you can follow Jesus or you can stay in your comfort zone, but you can't do both. You can't do both. You follow Jesus or you, follow, or you stay in your comfort zone. As Christians, we need to step into the high calling of following Jesus in more ways than with just our words and with just our attendance at church. And we need to, it's time for us to take action because God blesses us, guys, not by how much we know, but for our response to how much we know. He's not gonna say to us whenever we get to heaven, Bro, you need so much scripture. You had so many Bible verses memorized. That's not what he's gonna say. He's gonna either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me because I never knew you. I wanna err on this side. 
good and faithful servant. Guys, God promises all throughout scripture that if we would live this way, completely sold out to him, completely surrendered, that we would be a channel of blessing for the world around us and our minds can't fathom what God would do through us, through Christ here in Pooler, in Chatham County and the surrounding areas. So my question for you tonight is what's your next step? What's your next step when it comes to this? Because you, I promise you, if you've been awake and you've been listening, the Holy Spirit has spoken through scripture, not through me, through scripture. Because what the scripture says is clear. The scripture's clear. Is it to surrender to Christ tonight? Is it to get saved? I hear people talking about getting recomm recommitting their life to Christ. I like, like, I don't necessarily believe in recommit. I, I believe that you're surrendering your life over. Like you're giving, like maybe you've held some stuff back and you're just giving it back. You're giving it all over. Like I'm surrendering to you, God. Is it to be more faithful to your connect group? Is it serving at church? Is it serving people in your, in your work? Or is it, is it loving uh, your spouse? What, what is it? What's your next step? Where are you at tonight with Jesus? <coughs> Where are you at tonight with Jesus? Are you far? Don't be someone who's satisfied with sitting on the outskirts of your faith. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. Let the Lord awaken your heart tonight. Let him wake you up. Let him awaken your heart tonight. Let him, let him speak. God has called us to get in the game. God has called us to get in the game because some of us guys, you know, we're sitting on the sidelines waiting on God to open up the clouds and, and put us in the game, but he's already done that when he sent Jesus to die for our sins and, and, and put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's put us in the game. He's put us in the action. And how do you do that? How do you get into the game? How do you say yes to Jesus? You take your next step. You move. As Americans, we get to be, we get like spiritually paralyzed sometimes. I was talking to one of my friends the other day. He said, I just need to go to church. I've been planning to go to church. It just, and the, 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 the one thing I feel like we're good as Americans at saying is it just never happened. I just never got around to it. I've said that about working out and diets for 10 years. I just never did it. You know, so the thing is like, is this, listen, so many people talk about that way with their spiritual life too. I, I know, I know, I need to do better. I, I need to read the Bible. I need to pray. I need to get in the connect group. I need to do, I just, I just never get around to it. How much time has to pass before we finally get around to it? Five years, 10 years, 20 years? How much time? Let's evaluate our hearts tonight, guys. Let's move. Are we living in fear? It might be fear. Have we just been hoping that things would just fall into place? Don't let fear keep you in a place that you don't belong in. Don't let fear hold you down and hold you captive in a place you don't belong in. And this is a good question too, is how long have you been exactly where you are right now in your faith? The exact spot. You might not wanna admit it to everybody else, but just thinking to yourself, I've been here for a very long time. I know some scripture. I've been a part of a church. I've done, I've done a few things good. I've been on a mission, but I've never grown past where I'm at now. That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. God doesn't want that for you. Are we basing our eternity on saying, I believe in Jesus, but I haven't taken any steps of obedience. We haven't confessed him as Lord, is what it says in Romans 10. And we have to confess him with our lips. We have to, we have to, to, to believe in him in our hearts, to lean on him for salvation, to repent and to have faith, to lean on him and trust him. And so tonight, guys, have you been claiming to the world that you believe in Jesus, but your life may not add up to what the Bible calls a Christian? Have you never really given up your control of your heart to Jesus? Are you scared of losing control or the unknown or, or do you really know Christ and the fullness of his love for you? 
personal love for you. He died for you on the cross. If you were the only person on this earth and you were a sinner, he died for you on the cross. What are you gonna do with that tonight? Do you know Jesus tonight? I'm not talking about knowing who he is. I'm not talking about knowing facts about him. I'm talking about knowing him, knowing him. He's the one who gave him a throne, guys, for a cross in our place. He loves you. And tonight is the great night for surrendering your life to Christ. Whether that means for salvation, whether that means you have an idol set up in your life that you need to lay down, whether that means giving it all. And so tonight, I'm gonna be really bold and I want you to be bold too because Jesus was bold when he went to the cross. He was very bold in his love for you. Tonight, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I'm not, I don't care if you're in the band, I don't care if you are on the leadership team here, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus and truly walked with him through life, and you wanna do that, I just wanna ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you, so we can walk with you through that. We can take that next step with you. Is that anybody tonight? Awesome, we're all saved in here, that's awesome. Good news, I hope. Um, second thing, this I know for a fact, 100% fact that we all deal with. I know there's one person because he's standing on the stage and it's me, not these two guys. Um, do we have idols in our life that we need to let go of? Idols that are in the way of Jesus where you're trying to say yes to Jesus, but you can't get past that idol that you have in the, in the way of him. You can't serve him because you're serving that thing. You know what it is. When I said it, you like, that, that was it. You know exactly what it is. If you don't, then let's talk after, because I need to be discipled by you, because I want to walk like you, because <laughs> stuff. So my thing is this, is that if that's you tonight, we're going to have a little time of prayer um, if you need prayer, come lay it down on this altar. Don't be, don't be afraid. Be bold. Say, I'm leaving it here tonight. We have people that can pray with you. They'll be standing on the sides over here. If you want to pray with me, I'll be standing on the side. Whatever you need, we're here for you tonight. And we want to pray with you. We want to help you take your next step in your faith. Because one thing I do know is, is self-sufficiency is the enemy to your, to your faith. And if, and if an idol is in the way tonight, let's get that taken care of before you leave this place. Let me pray for you. And then as I'm praying, y'all move, y'all come and pray. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. God, he loves you and he wants to take those things from you. So let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I praise you, God, that you have, you've loved us and you've done things for us, God, that we can never, um, just, we can never um, just fathom. So Father, tonight, I pray for those who, who are holding on to idols. I pray for those who are holding on to that last bit of surrender, God. I pray for um, more of you, God, to be um, just, just be over this, these people tonight, God. I pray for uh, just a spirit of, of, of transparency, God, to be between you and people in these seats. God, I pray that you would just um, bring these people, God, bring us, bring me, Father, to, to the foot of the cross to see how much you love us, God, and that, that, you, that you want us, Father, to, to, to serve you, Father, to, to honor you the way that we live. God, you're a good God. God, you ask us to give up all things. God, but you return us to us more than we could ever imagine or deserve. But we love you. And I just thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in these hearts of the people and the hearts of our lives. God, continue to move, Lord. In your name I pray.